You're listening to the Entrepreneur Ignited Podcast. Where you'll get proven strategies to start and grow your online business from in the trenches digital entrepreneurs. EntrepreneurIgnited.com. Launch your online business. Live your dreams. Now, here's your host, Derek Gale. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ignited Podcast, a podcast designed to skip all that hype, skip all that BS, and just give you guys real actionable tips, strategies, things that you can actually use to grow your business, your digital business, that is, and income on the internet. This is your host, Derek Gale, and today you're going to, let's, let's call it a crash course on how to hire the right virtual assistants and contractors to really help you grow and scale your digital business so you can maximize your results while still having the freedom and lifestyle that that virtual business provides. And guys, this is a topic that's really near and dear to my heart because after selling my last company back in 2009, I had over 100 employees. I had offices in two countries. And when I did that, when I sold that company, I promised myself that I would never create a company like that again because although it was successful financially, I had no life. And so I began focusing my time on creating companies that would not only give me you know, the financial freedom that I wanted, but also that ability to work wherever I wanted. And one of the core strategies to achieving this was being able to hire virtual employees. And let me tell you, I made a bucket of mistakes and it cost me a ton of money. I mean, in one project alone, outsourcing, I think I lost just about $75,000 when I started. And, uh, you know, I want to help you skip those mistakes. And, you know, once I unlocked the secrets of how to actually really hire and manage good contractors, my business took off and I was able to grow and scale while still living that, you know, internet lifestyle. And that's why I'm excited about today's guest because, you know, he, he started as an Amazon seller and digital entrepreneur, um, but through the process of growing and scaling his business, he became uh, a hiring expert uh, for VAs, for contractors, and now he is dedicated to helping other digital entrepreneurs hire the right people for your businesses. He's hired hundreds of workers. He's written a book on it. He's founded a company called Free Up that has over 200 clients and you know he provides them access to the, the, the virtual workers they need. And uh, so we're going to dig deep in this today. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Nathan Hirsch to the show. Nathan, thank you for being here today. Derek, thanks for having me. How are you? Very well, thank you. Now, before we get started, uh, just take a second and expand on my introduction, and more specifically, share your journey as, <coughs> as an entrepreneur. Because I mean, you started off, as I understand, in the Amazon space. How, you know, how did you how did you start off? What got you online, and what led you to this moment being interviewed today on my show as the virtual employee hiring expert that you are? Sure. So my story has taken a lot of twists and turns, a lot of ups and downs. Um, I started back, it started back when I was in college. Um, I was about 20 years old and I really wanted to start my own company. I majored in entrepreneur and I had no idea where to start or what to do. So I started off buying books that I would find at different libraries, different dumps, tag sales, stuff like that and seeing how much I could get for them online. And I used a bunch of different um, book sourcing sites, um, tried to sell them back to different textbook companies, stuff like that, which got me into buying and selling textbooks, um, which I did at my college because you know that you always get ripped, up, ripped off at the bookstore. So I created an alternative in my dorm room where I literally had lines out the door of people wanting to sell me their textbooks. And I would hold them at the end of the semester, um, travel carry them from my dorm room to my house and then back again and, and sell them at the beginning of the next semester. 
And from there, I learned about Amazon.com because it's hard to sell books without learning about Amazon. So at the time, Amazon was mostly book, a bookstore, if anyone remembers that time. And they, they were just getting into other stuff. So there were a lot of baby toys and stuff like that. Um, but instead of having 100 sellers on every listing that you can choose from, it was like me and four other people. So I got in right at the beginning. I started buying from different retailers, different places, different deals that I could find, um, reselling the stuff online, which got me more into dealing from vendors and wholesalers. And I learned a lot more about Amazon and selling in uh, different categories like that. And I quickly grew up my business to the point where I was running a multi-million dollar business when I was in college um, before I could even legally drink. So it was kind of a crazy (laughs) adventure. Um, And with any adventure with a young entrepreneur, you obviously make a ton of mistakes. And it got to the point where, I mean, I could answer every email, respond to every call, place every order, but eventually I had to hire someone if I wanted to expand. So if you just look, think of me as a 20-year-old, 21-year-old trying to hire someone for the first time, you have no idea what you're doing. So it would get, you'd have someone in an interview and be like, hey, ask them five questions. All right, you're hired. We need someone. Get going. And you kind of learn from your mistakes and improve the process over time. So fast forwarding ahead, I graduated from college, had the decision I had to make between getting a real job and be, continuing to be an entrepreneur moved from Connecticut to Florida to pursue my dream. Um, From there, when I moved down there with my business partners and a few other people that we decided to hire full-time, we really found the need to hire even more workers. And whenever you're running an e-commerce business, there's a part of it that can be remote. And while a lot of my workers were remote, we were usually in the same place, not always, but we saw this need for cheaper remote workers. So a friend of mine that I met when I moved to Florida, who was on my softball team, recommended Odesk, which is now Upwork. And I became determined to build an Odesk army, so to speak. So I started interviewing. I spent all day doing interviewing, hiring people, training. And I would actually provide assistance to my assistants. So the overall game plan was pretty good. The execution wasn't great at first. We made a lot of bad hires. Um, But that really got me to the point where I had salaried employees and then they'd each have two or three assistants. So I was maximizing their time. Instead of if they were making $50,000 a year, um, instead of spending half their time doing data entry work, the people making four to $6 an hour would do that. Um, And that's how I tried to make it as efficient as possible. So fast forwarding past that, my company expanded and a lot of that work gets done without me, especially when you're running a drop shipping Amazon model. And I wanted to help other people do the same thing and and make money or expand their company using all the things that I learned um, from over seven or over five years of hiring and seven years in the e-commerce industry. So my idea was to create a way for people to people that have either never hired before, people that have had bad experiences hiring, or people that have just, um, they don't have the time. Their company's too big. They can't spend all day doing interviews, and maybe they don't have someone on their team that is even capable of it. So kind of handling that process for them. Um, and that led me to start Free Up about a year ago, and we've been rapidly expanding and adding clients and workers ever since. And that leads me to your show. Wow. Okay. So let's, let's dive into this because I, I'm going to venture to say that most people, and I, I, let's let's call it 
80% of people that land on Upwork or Elance or whatever, they, you know, they post their ad, they try and hire somebody, and they get a crap result. And they become very disenchanted with the process. And so most people that I talk to, their first experience or, or many experiences is really poor. And so why is it? Why are most people failing at hiring uh, contractors, virtual assistants using these platforms? It's a good question. Um, yeah, I mean, I started there too. You you kind of get this huge database with more workers than you could ever talk to in your lifetime, and you post a job, and anyone can apply to that job. So then you're kind of filtering through who even apply, who even has a skill set that you need. And then on top of that, you don't really know what other clients they have. You don't know what other opportunities are going to come up in the future. How committed they actually are. Feedback only tells you so much. Um, and a buddy of mine, one of my business partners, he actually wrote an article for the free up blog about the pros and cons in Upwork. And obviously one of the pros is you get access to all these people that you never would have had access to before. Um, but there are a lot of cons as well. You, if you don't have a good way of filtering applicants and testing them and making sure they're exactly what you need, you're just going to end up right back on Upwork interviewing more people and posting more jobs. So, And a lot of my clients have that same bad experience and that's why they've come to me looking for another solution um, because you just get frustrated over time if you're making bad hires. Every time you make a bad hire, it just sets your company backwards. Yeah, it it absolutely does, and it's it's frustrating, and it's I mean, there's lost opportunity. There's so many losses hiring the wrong people. Um, you know, I think the something I learned very very early on in my career as an entrepreneur, as my company scaled and I had to hire sort of real employees that were coming to an office, was the 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 I guess the philosophy of uh, slow to hire, quick to fire. Right. Yep. And, and, and you know, it sounds cold. It sounds pretty harsh, but it's it's so true. You got to find the right people, and when you don't have the right people, you need to you need to get rid of them quickly and move on to finding that right person. But there's so much cost to getting it wrong. Now, one of the big challenges I see working with so many digital entrepreneurs is uh, they. I I believe there's certain things that can be outsourced and. Th- certain things that should not be outsourced. And I watch people try and outsource everything or outsource things that I don't think should be outsourced. And so what's your take on that? What are the things that you see that we should be outsourcing and what should we probably keep closer to home? That's a good question. And that's partly why we offer both U.S. and non-U.S. workers. So if you can't outsource something, you can at least try to make it remote. Um, But my recommendation, and I do it with my own business, is I write down everything I do on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. I put it in order from hardest to easiest. And then I start at the bottom and work my way up. And I see how far I can push it. Um, And it's different for every company. And some people are comfortable with things that other people aren't. But you get to the bottom, maybe it's answering customer emails or certain data entry work, um, but you never want to outsource the core of your company. If your core, of, the core of your company is marketing, you don't necessarily want to outsource marketing. You want to find other people that can handle marketing at your level and keep the quality control up. So, And the important thing to do as you go up that list is to keep the quality high because I have clients who do outsource everything or close to it. And the key is is that they never take that next step to outsource more until they, they make sure that that quality below and the easier step is where they want it to be and then they go to that next level. Now, you said something interesting. I want to dig into there. You said there's certain things that you can't outsource but you want to keep it remote. And, and so... Are you saying that certain things, when you were talking outsourcing, you're talking outsourcing overseas versus keeping it 
in your own country or? Yeah, when I think of outsource, I think of people outside of the country that you could pay slightly less wage in order to complete whatever task you're doing. So, I mean, it, there are times where let's say you don't know Google PPC and you want to drive traffic to your site that you might not want to outsource it. Maybe you do, but you might want to hire a U.S. expert to do it at the same level as you or even better because there are going to be people out there that can do it better. And those people can still be remote. But to me, there's a difference between doing that and just taking the work and giving it to the cheapest bidder. Yeah, and I and I totally agree. and I think that and I wanted to dig into that because I think that's something people don't tease apart enough. You can outsource these higher level things, um, strategic things, things that require more education, stuff like that. But you need to make sure you're looking in a market where that education and skill set really exists. And so you know, there's certain things I know I outsource that I'm, I'm not going to outsource it to India or the Philippines because I know the skill set's just not going to exist there, right? And I think that it, it's, it's something interesting to tease apart there because you can still keep them remote. And I think that's something people need to sort of separate in their mind. So when you're doing this, you have VAs that are both US or let's call it even, it doesn't have to be US, I would guess, just sort of, um, what's the best way to put it? Western cu- countries or, because I mean, the UK, whether yeah, it's a good U- way to put it. Yeah. U- UK, Australia, stuff. I've got great contractors that are really good in those areas. And there's certain countries that I, that I wouldn't get the same level of, I guess. So, now let, let's let's sh- so okay so things that you should not outsource versus things you should outsource. Once you've figured that out, how do you find the right VAs to fill those roles? Sure. So you pretty much first of all to take a step back, I always like to divide it up into two different kinds of clients. You're either a client that you have your processes already created, and you need to take a worker and insert them into those processes. So if your process is customer care and you have the templates, yes, you want someone with customer care experience. By the end of the day, they're just learning your process and doing it over and over again. And then there's a clients that need more of those experts, and that's where you really don't want to go cheap and you don't want to outsource because if you don't know how to do the process yourself, why do you think that you can hire someone cheaper than you to do that process for you. That's, so, yeah. Sorry, that's so, a good way to put it. Yeah. So once you determine where you kind of fit in there, um, the next step is figuring out how how hands-on you want to be. And I always have clients that are like, oh, I heard you can get a great VA for a dollar an hour. And they definitely exist. They are out there. But for every good VA that's a dollar an hour, there are a lot more bad ones that are as well. And you also have to keep in mind that if you spend days or weeks or even months searching for this $1 an hour VA and you hire them and you train them for two weeks and they quit and you're right back where you were a month ago, then it's not necessarily worth it to you. So there's more factors than just the hourly rate. So there's all these websites out there, upwork.com, freelancer.com, online PH, and those are good if you want to spend the time to do the interviewing. You can also see feedback, stuff like that. And then there are the agencies and the recruiting companies, and FreeUp is kind of in there, um, although we're a little bit more hands-on. Um, and what I really liked about FreeUp and how I tried to make it different is we just get hundreds of applicants every week that we filter ourselves. And we um, we interview them. We have a process that I've created based on my seven years of experience. Um, we test their skills. We make sure that they follow our communication guidelines because there's nothing more important than communication if you're not in the same building as someone that's working for you. And then we make these people available to our clients. 
So you kind of get access to this network of already pre-vetted workers it, rather than just this network of everyone. Yeah, and that you have to vet yourself, which is which is where most people fail on on the Upworks. And so now you were throwing out some numbers there, that dollar an hour, that $5 an hour. And, and this is the, probably the number one question I get when one of my clients or one of my, my students goes to an Upwork for the first time or an online jobs and they start interviewing and recruiting is how much should you pay? Because as you know, you post a job, you'll get the guy who wants to do it for a dollar an hour and the guy who wants to do it for $30 an hour. And it's how committed they'll be to you. If you take yeah. a $5 an hour guy and you're like, you know what, you can have this job today, just take a $3, take $3 an hour. Maybe that guy accepts it because he wants that job right now. But in a week when he applies to that job for $6 an hour and someone hires him, he's going to drop you in a second. He's got no loyalty to you. So it's not always about that initial hourly rate. And I have a lot of clients who are like, oh, can I start them at a low hourly rate? And over time, they'll prove themselves. At some point, it's like, no, either this worker has a skill set or they don't. Either they have the background or they don't. And if you want to keep them and make them happy over time and make it so they care about your business and treat it like it's theirs, pay them their hourly rate. Right? It's going to be worth it for you in the long run. Yeah. And, you know, a strategy that I've employed just to, to reinforce what you're saying there is when I've hired on Upwork, if I've got a good candidate and they give me, you know, let's say they say, hey, I'm, I'm $5 an hour. I'll say, great, I'll pay you $6 an hour, right? And just give them a little bit more. I mean, in our world, if they're going to put in 20 hours a week, that's an extra 20 bucks for me. That's not going to make or break me. But it's, it's, for me, I found that creates a little extra level of loyalty there. Um, so I agree with what you're saying there. You know, you see people – and it's interesting because, you know, in the countries we live in, we would never go in and negotiate somebody at $5 an hour down to $4 an hour. Mm-hmm. But, I agree. But it's bizarre how there's this mentality that, oh, this guy wants $4 an hour. I'm going to see if I can get him for 3 You're like, really? Really, though? Is that, do you feel good about that? Um, and, and it's how much do you value your own time? And, and yeah. I really like your approach. By paying him that extra dollar an hour, you're cutting down the chance that he leaves you, and you're just going to have to spend a lot more time finding someone else. And who knows if you'll ever find someone else that good again. If you find a worker that you like, treat him well so that he stays with you over time, and that's going to make and save you way more money in the long run. Which, uh, and so this actually segues nicely into my next question for you is how do you, how do you create loyalty? How do you manage these people? How do you communicate with them? Because, you know, they're on the other side of the world. How do you make them feel part of a team? Sure. And I credit my business partner, uh, Connor Gillivan. You can check him out at connorgillivan.com. Um, he's all about teamwork. And when I first started my Amazon store, I was very that rough, rigid business owner. Everyone just does what they told. There's no real need to have that teamwork and interaction. And he really opened my eyes um, about, first of all, just making the working atmosphere fun. But second of all, employee happiness and retention and how it's you get so much more out of it over time. So a lot of cool things we've done internally at FreeUp um, on both my assistants and the way that we interact with our workers that are working for clients is we keep everyone involved and we make them feel part of the team. Um, we continue, we keep them updated on the business's success and even failures so they feel a part of it. We give people credit on how they're contributing. Whenever a client gets a compliment um, or whenever a worker gets a compliment from a client, we share it with the team. Whenever a worker um, builds a part of the free up website and maybe they do something that goes above and beyond, we give them credit, the recognition. And, and we constantly check in to make sure that they, first of all, they understand the direction the company is going and they want to be a part of it. 
but also that they're overall happy. And if they're not happy and there's something they don't like, we encourage feedback. We encourage people to share their opinions and we're going to take that feedback and you can never address every single feedback that you get immediately, but you try to make it a better work environment because the better you make it for them, the better it's going to be for you long term. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, it's interesting because when you're building this virtual organization, you want people that are going to stay with you. But it's funny how many people don't apply the same things that they would apply to an, an actual company with people in an office to their virtual teams. When in reality, all of those things, I think, play an important role in creating that loyalty, creating people that actually care and feel part of that business. Now, when you have a team, um, how are you how are you how are you managing them how do you how do you tra- are, are you doing screen tracking what level of tracking and and how do you create accountability with a virtual team yeah it's a, it's a good question it's something that you always struggle with um, no matter if you hire employees from anywhere i mean even screen trackings can get manipulated and they don't necessarily tell the full story mm-hmm. um, we built a custom time clock software um, that doesn't have screen tracking yet but essentially you punch in punch out and you can, you are required to leave notes when you do that so the client can see it at any time and for us it's all about communication pretty much everything has to be in writing with hourly estimates and my workers aren't even allowed to start projects unless that stuff is in place. So if a client is like, hey, I need you to work eight hours, the worker is not allowed to work nine hours without prior approval. And most people within reason are going to give that approval. And the same thing goes with completing work. So every time the worker completes something, they update the client so that it's not just, oh, I completed 15 hours of work, here everything is, and you have no idea what's going on. We want constant updates. We want a paper trail so that no one feels like they're being treated unfairly and that everything is there to look back on. If we need to look back three weeks on how long, how many email someone answered in eight hours, we can check that compared to today. Um, but there's also that cli- the client knows their business better than we do. So we leave it up to the client and we also leave it up on uh, past feedback from different history of clients. And a lot of our workers are, care a lot more about staying within the free up network and following our policies and treating the company, the client's business as their own than they do about getting that extra hour because it's just not worth it for them. Because if we find that they're manipulating their time card in any way, then they just lose access to all these great clients that they would never get otherwise. Right, right. And so let's talk about communication. When you're communicating with contractors and you're managing them, is it all via written? Are you speaking to them via Skype? What's your recommendations there? My strong recommendation is to, especially when you're dealing with international workers, put everything in writing. Do all training in writing. If you're not going to do that, my next step would be a YouTube video, something that they can look back on. The worst thing that my clients do, and I always discourage them not to do that, is they'll have a one-on-one training video with a worker, and then they'll just be like, go, with nothing for them to look back on, no, nothing to kind of show if there's any miscommunication, if the worker, if the client's like, hey, I told the worker this, I have no proof of whether that actually happened or not. And and any worker that wants to make a client happy, they're going to review stuff and study the way the client wants it done. And if they have a question, instead of bothering the client, they can go and look it up. So it just makes a lot more sense to put in writing. You've got other things like the language barrier that um, factor in in different ways. But I always recommend putting it in writing or making it so someone can go back and rewatch a video, um, something like that. It's by far the best way of communication. And that was one of the first mistakes that I made early on is I spent so much time doing these one-on-one training sessions. And it doesn't protect you at all. If a worker quits, then you have to stop what you're doing and do it all over again. So it's better to take the time to 
create the training guides, um, the YouTube videos, whatever it is, and make a lot of different resources available to the worker. And, and that's that's a huge one as well. Like those, I guess one of the things that I want to emphasize to the listeners is those videos, those training videos. You might be making it for a certain VA, but that becomes an asset for your business that allows you to now bring in additional VAs, or when a VA leaves, bring another one in their place and quickly onboard them into your organization without that same amount of training and time you had to put into it. And I mean, for for me, I'll just give a perfect example of this. My podcast process from uh, recruiting uh, guests all the way through to publishing is a documented process step by step with little videos for every single one of them. Now, how long did that take me to do? Probably took me a good day to put together. But now I can, if somebody leaves, which fortunately nobody has, but if somebody does, I can swap somebody in and the process continues very, very easily. So, you know, I, and I, I see this with entrepreneurs. We're so busy. There's so much stuff going on to sit down and create these training videos can seem daunting and oh, I don't have time, but you got to make that time and it becomes such a valuable asset. So, uh, you know, make sure you're doing that. Now, um, I want to talk a little bit about countries because this is always a question that comes up as well. What countries are you finding the best talent in for specific roles? Have you got any advice around that? Yeah, so the majority of my workers are U.S. or the Philippines. Um, for whatever reason, they seem to do better in our interview process and our testing. Um, but with that said, I have plenty of good workers that are not in the Philippines and U.S. Um, India is kind of hit or miss. I have some really great workers from India that I've worked with for years. I trust them on my own Amazon account and with my top clients. And I've had other ones that I have had pretty bad experiences with. Um, but it really varies. I mean, I've had good workers from Bangladesh, um, Jamaica, different places like that, but I've also had bad experiences as well. For whatever reason, um, people in the Philippines seem to get it. They're more in line with American cultures and values, um, but that's just looking at them as a whole rather than individual because I've got good people from all over. Right. And then, so is there, when you're working with, say, uh, Filipino or Indian or something like that, there's, there's always cultural differences, there's holidays, there's different, there's just different stuff going on. I mean, Philippines, power outages, stuff like that. How do you handle that? Sure. So in terms of the culture, one of my biggest tips, and I have a client, Taylor, who's followed this to a T, is write out your entire business up front. Like the, before you jump into the actual training, make sure they actually understand your business. If you're selling raincoats, teach them about the raincoat business, the raincoat industry, what it actually does in the US, when you started, how much you've grown, stuff like that. So they have a background and they know what they're actually getting into. And it's only going to make them adapt faster um, and become a better worker for you. Um, in terms of the cultural differences and the power outages and stuff like that, it's always going to happen with us. Communication is incredibly important. I have over 100 workers on my team. I have lots of people that overlap in skills, and they're more than happy to sub in for each other as well. So even if my workers have a power outage, we don't hire anyone unless they have Viber, WhatsApp on a smartphone. So if our workers have a power outage or anything like that, they're still able to A, contact the client, they can contact the client, B, contact me or one of my assistants, and we'll inform the client and be like, hey, we, there's a power outage. What work do you have done? Is it urgent? If it's urgent, like, hey, 
we'll comp you these hours and have this worker do it for you at the same price. Or we'll give you a more advanced worker at the same price you're hiring for. Whatever it takes to hold down the fort until the worker gets done. So that's kind of a new uh, cool service that we added in because you're right. When I first started outsourcing, people would lose power and you'd just be like, what? Like, well, how is this happening? Like, My business can't go down because yeah. some uh, Filipino on the other side of the world doesn't have power. Yeah. So we add that level of protection, but communication is everything. If my worker loses power or has an emergency and they don't contact us, they don't work for us very long. Yeah, yeah. And uh, sorry, you mentioned WhatsApp. What was that other app? Viber? Viber. They're both free. And what is Viber? Is it, is it, how do you spell it's that? V-I-B-R. It's pretty much the same thing as WhatsApp. Okay. Um, yeah, it's just preferences. For for whatever reason, people in the UK prefer WhatsApp, where people in the Philippines prefer Viber. I'm not sure why. Oh, interesting. Huh? Yeah. And I, you know, that's one of the things too. When you once you start outsourcing to these different countries, take some time to understand the technology they use. This how, how just their holidays. I mean. The Philippines is a whole different realm than North America or Australia or the UK or whatever, right? So taking the time to understand that is huge. So last question for you. I mean, you've, you've created this unique firm, and I know a question that will be outstanding in people's mind is, why would I use a firm like yours versus hiring directly or using an Upwork? You know, what are the, what are the benefits? What's the difference? Sure. So on the front end, we save you the time of doing the HR. We've pre-vetted these workers. We've also have years of hiring experience between me and my team, so we can listen to your needs and put you in touch with the right worker um, pretty quickly. I mean, our sign-up process is five minutes, and we have a lot of workers that, or a lot of clients that get workers immediately after that, um, or within minutes, as long as me and my team are not asleep. Um, <laughs> but be, and then on the front end, so we make it quick and easy to get access to these vetted workers. On the back end, we're there to support you. We um, We'll consult with you, help you out if you have any questions on how to communicate. We'll give you tips on how to um, help your workers, help your company going forward. And then we'll be ongoing. If there's any miscommunication, we'll hop in a group Skype and clear everything up. Or we'll, um, you can CC us or my team in emails and we'll follow along and make sure that it's going smoothly. And then on the very back end, we protect you if your worker quits. I already talked about protecting you if there's any power outages or stuff like that. We never leave our clients hanging. So you're never going to be in a situation like Upwork where you hire someone, you spend two weeks training them, and then you just can never get a hold of them. Um, we've got people on my team that'll track down that worker, figure out what's going on. Our workers are trained to communicate ahead of time so that doesn't even happen, and we'll protect you guys going forward. Awesome. And that's that's a huge benefit because I've used a lot of different platforms and uh, that doesn't exist. I, I don't think I've seen that anywhere, that level of service, that level of, of backup that exists. So that's that's awesome. Now, before we wrap things up, uh, if our want, listeners obviously want to find out more about FreeUp, your business, stuff like that, projects you're working on, where do they go? Sure. So check us out at freeup.com with three E's. You can always email me at nathan at freeup.com. Um, and if you sign up as a client on our site and you use Derek's name, uh, you get 10% off your, your first worker. And going forward, we also have a blog too, where we update not only e-commerce stuff, but different um, content that we've created on how to hire virtual assistants. We recently posted an article on the pros and cons of Upwork. So we try to engage our community and um, keep the knowledge flowing, so to speak. Fantastic. Well, Nathan, thanks so much for sharing so many tips, strategies for uh, successfully hiring virtual employees. And, uh, you know, I'd really recommend people check out the service you're offering because it sounds awesome. So, again, thanks so much. Thank you, Derek. 
Fantastic. All right, everyone, that was outsourcing expert Nathan Hirsch. And as always, any links mentioned in the interview will be included in the show notes along with the entire transcript of this episode. And you can find it all at entrepreneurignited.com forward slash podcast. And don't forget, if you haven't done so already, you can automatically have every future episode of this podcast delivered to your smartphone or device. Head on over to iTunes if you're on Apple or uh, SoundCloud if you're on Android. And if you like what you heard, please leave us a rating, leave us a review while you're there because that is the fuel that gives me that more momentum and motivation to continue making this the best info-packed podcast for digital entrepreneurs. And now it's time to take the tips, the tools, all those strategies Nathan shared with you today and apply that final essential ingredient, which is action. So go forth, take action, apply what you've learned, and stay tuned for more info-packed episodes of the Entrepreneur Ignited podcast. This is your host, Derek Gale, signing off. Thanks for listening to another info-packed episode of the Entrepreneur Ignited podcast with Derek Gale. For links to all of the resources plus an entire transcript of this episode, go to entrepreneurignited.com slash podcast. Make sure you never miss another episode. Subscribe now on iTunes or SoundCloud.